This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Carbock Brewing Company presents Sports Talk 790 Astroline. Astroline. The official off-season show of Astros baseball. World Series champion! Time to chat about your champs. Call 713-212-5790. 713-212-5790. Man, this is awesome, man. We're championship city. Live from Pluckers Wing Bar on Shepherd. Sports Talk 790 Astroline starts now. now. Good evening, everybody, live. Brought to you by the Carbach Brewing Company. This is Astroline, our official off-season hot stove radio show of the world champion Houston Astros. Bill Brown with you tonight, along with the general manager, Jeff Luno. Great to see all these fans out here tonight, Jeff. Sure is. Yeah, we have a nice turnout here in uh, the restaurant, and that's Plucker's Wings Bar on Shepherd. And uh, you can send us your questions using the hashtag... Astroline on social media to participate at Plucker's Wings Bar, 1400 North Shepherd Drive. And the architect, General Manager Jeff Luno, you were uh, just doing a group interview, Jeff, and uh, talking about an anniversary of sorts of yours coming up tomorrow. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was six years ago tomorrow that I was hired as the General Manager of the Houston Astros. And, boy, uh, in some respects, it feels like 10, 15 years ago. In other respects, it, it feels like just yesterday. But, boy, what a great uh, journey it's been these last six years. And if, if you had told me that we would be world champions in six years, uh, I certainly would have signed up for that. <laughs> well, congratulations to you. I haven't really seen you since the uh, Game 7 extravaganza. And, and just uh, the, all the excitement that went into that. Uh, what was it like in your stomach <laughs> during the postseason. <laughs> you know, October, I, I think back to it. Seeing the movie premiere a couple weeks ago was a lot of fun because there were moments that I almost forgot about. I mean, I really am looking forward to at some point this offseason or maybe in the next year, sitting down and watching all those games over again. So there's so many little parts that I, I, I remember what I was feeling once I see it again. Um, it was exciting. It was agonizing. It was thrilling. I mean, I, you know... I didn't get a lot of sleep during that month, but uh, it was the most rewarding experience of, of my professional career to be able to uh, take a part in delivering the first world championship ever to the Houston Astros and for the city of Houston in baseball is something that will never be done again. And to, to have taken part in that is, is really rewarding. What were the high spots for you as you watched things unfold in the postseason? There, you know, there's so many moments that, that I can think about, but uh, Bregman's home run in, in the game against the Red Sox when, you know, we had brought Verlander in. He had given up the home run to Benintendi. At that point, it looked like, oh, boy, we're going to have to go back to Houston, and this could be another division series collapse. Uh, everything was running through my mind like that. Once Bregman hit that home run, I had a feeling that things were going to go our way. Marwin Gonzalez's home run 
in in the Dodgers uh, in that game too. You know, if we lose that game too, uh, I don't. I'm pretty sure we're. It's going to be a lot harder to win that World Series and to be facing the most dominant closer since Mariano Rivera and someone who just doesn't give up hits, much less home runs, and to have Marwin hit that ball over the fence to tie up the game. That was incredible. I mean, those two moments to me, there were so many more that I could talk about, but to me those were the two that uh, after those moments I felt much better about our prospects. One of the fans came up and and said, well, was uh, game two or game five a better game? I I can go either way, too. I, I think probably game five would get the vote of most people, but the thing that you just mentioned takes me back to maybe making game two more unusual because yeah. of coming from behind against that closer in that fashion. Yeah. Right? I mean, to have two games, two epic World Series games in the same series with the two best teams in baseball facing each other, neither of whom have won a championship in a long time and one has never won, uh, that, that just doesn't happen. I mean, it was really an incredible postseason, an incredible World Series, one of the best ever, if not the best ever. And, and those two games in particular were so dramatic. The range of emotions uh, for, for myself, for our fans, for everybody was just incredible. As you get set to uh, depart soon for Orlando in the winter meetings, now, uh, of course, it's the objective of doing it again that is so daunting right now. How does it strike you right now? Well, I'm, I'm excited by the challenge. I mean, winning a World Series is really one of the toughest things you can do as an organization. It's the hardest thing to accomplish. Winning two in a row is even more difficult, and as evidenced by the fact that not many teams have done it, at least not in the last, you know, 30-plus years. So uh, we're the only team in baseball that has a shot to do it right now, and so we're going to take our best shot. We have an organization that's built to win for a while. Uh, Most of our team, we have a few free agents, but most of our team is coming back. We're going to add something to that team at some point in this offseason, so uh, I think we've got as good a shot to repeat as any team has had uh, in, in the past 10, 15 years. I know you were quoted in one recent article talking about the bullpen being a priority. And, uh, you know, the question of Ken Giles is going to come up. A.J. is squarely in his court, as he mentioned last week on Line, And uh, people tend to get down on a player sometimes based on a postseason, but looking at the body of work. He really had a very good regular season this year. He sure did. And, you know, this postseason, every closer had their problems, whether it was Kimbrell or Jansen or Giles. I mean, everybody had those issues. And we faced three dominant bullpens, and we got to all three of them. And, and yeah, they got to ours too, but that's what happens late in the postseason. So, you know, Ken Giles has two pitches that on a scouting scale of 20 to 80 are both very close to 80, his fastball and his slider. And when he's throwing strikes, he's about as dominant as anybody in the game. His issue really becomes when he comes in and, and isn't, doesn't have the command of those two pitches. Maybe he has one and not the other, and he has to figure it out. And sometimes, uh, you know, that leads to bad results. But his body of work so far with us and with the Phillies before us is very, very good. He's one of the guys that I certainly trust at the end of the game. And, and I have a feeling he's going to redeem himself and be uh, one of the guys that A.J. can count on next year. And, and, you know, going through that experience in the postseason, you know, Carlos Correa made an error in 2015 in that critical game against the Royals. Our pitchers gave it up then. Our, our, you know, our guys didn't come up with the clutch hits. They learned from that experience. And the next time they got back to the postseason, they were better and they were dominant and they became world champions. And I think the fact that Ken has had some uh, challenges in the postseason is going to make him that much more focused and prepared next time around. You know, that's an excellent point on Carlos because he said that many times in interviews after that game in 2015 
that it was not a mental problem for him, and he's gone out and proved that since. Sure has. The great players do that. They learn from those yeah. things, don't they? No, they sure do. And and I think it's uh, we underestimate the impact of being in the postseason for the first time. This was Ken Giles' first postseason, and to be closing games out for a team that's as good as ours against those offenses that we faced. I mean, there's not many people that can handle that type of pressure. And now that he's been through it, I think he's going to mentally prepare himself the whole season to, to get, be in that situation again, just like Carlos did. And then as far as the bullpen as a whole, of course, these guys, and, you know, Joe Musgrove was moved from the rotation into relief, so that was a transitional year for him. And you'd have to feel that he would be better equipped to do that coming in next year if that's what's asked of him. But as far as the other guys, Devo and the other guys, it just to extend the season that much further, 18 more games uh, onto the regular season, that's uh, something that a lot of these players had not ever done before. That's for sure. And you know, let's take the Devo example. Two years ago, he was a starter turned reliever, similar to Joe this last year. And last year when we put him in the bullpen and, and just that was his job, he became an all-star. So there's no reason that, that if, if that's the role we decide for Musgrove next year, there's no reason he can't do that. Same thing with Michael Feliz. Same thing with, with a lot of our pitchers. So a bullpen is still a priority for us. We're going to be looking to add at least one more arm to our bullpen. But we feel pretty good that we're going to have lots of options. We're going to give AJ a lot of options. And we're going to have guys that are going to get us from the sixth inning to the ninth on when they need to. On a personal level, how did your family take everything? <laughs> it's such an exciting time for everybody. But you personally well you know when when you go through this to be able to share it with those people that you care about the most that are closest to you including family and close friends there's nothing like that and and you know to have my son on the stage with me after as we were accepting the trophy uh, to have my wife there to have my uh, my older kids there you know my father flew up from mexico twice uh my my brothers both came in i mean it, it's it's so much fun to share that experience with them i will say my house was Filled with house guests the entire month of October. So by the time Thanksgiving rolled around, it, it felt like uh, my, I mean, my young son loved it because he had someone to play with all the time. But um, it was great. I, I, I hope we get to do it again. But, you know, you do so much. You work so hard in this game that when you can share those amazing experiences with the people you love, it, it, there's nothing like it. And the thing that took this whole situation to another level, in addition to having battled through the effects of Harvey, uh, and the community coming together is is just the players, the reception. You've heard this time and time again that your players, you know, they do so much in the community. They do so much more than play baseball, and it's just been uh, a dream experience almost, hasn't it? Well, it has, and, you know, our players are so connected to the city, even the ones that aren't from here, that have moved here. So many of them are spending time here during the off season, and it didn't used to be like that. Of course, every Astro team had a couple guys that lived in Houston, and you'd see them here in the off season, but... But all of our guys are here. They're spending time here. They're getting out in the community. They're enjoying the, you know, the experience that the city had and that they had. And that connection is something that's that's strong. It's stronger now than it has been. And even winning the World Series, I think combining that with the, what happened this summer with Harvey and, and the reaction of the fans, that has created a bond between all of our players in Houston that will never go away. You were probably thinking as each round of the playoffs came, Hey, you don't get this opportunity very often, right? The deeper you go, the more you tend to think that way, correct? It's true. I mean, at first it was, you know, you just want to get through the division series because we weren't able to do that in 15. And then you get to the CS and you think, you know, we really are better than this team. I just want to play in the World Series. The Astros have never won a World Series game. We need to get there and do that. 
And then you get to the World Series, you say, no, this isn't enough. We need to win this thing. And we need to deliver the first world championship ever for Houston, uh, for the Houston Astros. And, and the difference, you know, during Game 7, I was thinking to myself, both teams deserve to win this. One of them's going to win, one of them's not. Maybe the difference isn't that great because both teams are, are well-deserving of being here. But the difference has been enormous. I mean, I'm so glad that we won because there's so many benefits that accrue from winning, both emotionally and financially for the franchise and for our players and, and everybody. And just being able to take that trophy around town and have people take pictures with it. You know, no one's taking pictures with a second-place trophy because there is none. <laughs> well, you've made a few rounds with this trophy. How many times have you packed that in the back seat of the car? Well, I had a week where I took it to all the TV stations in town, including the Spanish stations. And, you know, I've been to all these stations before doing stuff for them. I didn't realize how many people actually work at these TV stations <laughs> until you show up with a trophy right. and you give them an opportunity to come down and take pictures. Then you realize that there's a lot of folks behind the scenes that, uh, that you've never met before. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and then the parade, wasn't that something, too? Incredible. I still, every time I see pictures of the parade or any videos, it, it gives me chills. I am fortunate enough, this is my third World Series championship parade. I did two of them in St. Louis and, and this one here. And this one, by far, I, you know, I don't know number of people at the other ones, but it just felt so much more intense because as far as the eye could see, you know, I think they extended the route because there were so many people down there. And, and around every corner, just people as far as you could see. And people so excited and emotional about what had happened. And, you know, that's an experience that uh, I just I, I wish everybody could have. Jeff Luna, our general manager, the guest tonight here, brought to you by the Carbach Brewing Company. It's Astroline, and we come back with more in just a moment. For the first time ever, the Astros are baseball's best. Game 7 on the road at Dodger Stadium, and the Astros prevail. World Series champions. Who would have ever believed? Robert Ford and Steve Sparks are getting a well-deserved rest right now, Jeff Luno. Those guys are probably not quite that pumped up at this moment. <laughs> oh, that was a great call right there. There were so many good calls that those guys made during the postseason, but that one right there. Uh, that's one that that's burned into my memory, especially the part about into the shift. Oh, yeah. Who knew? Back when we were shifting in 13 and everybody was wondering what we were doing. Well, that's the way to end a World Series right there. Well, you did catch a little flack along the way, but now it's uh, very easy to move on, isn't it? It sure is. I mean, I think this uh, the success this year and really the success last three years have uh, demonstrated a lot of things that we were doing that were maybe considered a little out there um, were worth doing. Lauren Blackwell is with us. She's been uh, roaming around getting questions. What do you have, Lauren? Sure. Jeff, Stan from Houston wants to know if you think in the future, do you see modern technology playing a part in calling balls and strikes? I do. I think it's inevitable. In fact, it already sort of is to a certain extent because there's a system that Major League Baseball uses to grade umpires, and it's much more advanced than the system that, that we see on Fox and on the broadcasts. And the next morning, all the umpires go on, and they look, and they get their grades, and they see which pitches they called right and which they didn't. So that feedback loop is already in there. I think it's just a matter of time before someday it's the technology's calling the balls and strikes. It's just the technology's just not quite there yet. Also, at this point, a lot of fans have asked me to ask you. They want to know when we may see Forrest Whitley here in Houston. They're very excited about him. Well, he was here during the, uh, I think at the end of the season, he came to receive his award for the minor league pitcher of the year. 
um, he and uh, and Tucker, Kyle Tucker, and those two prospects are are probably our top two prospects uh, considered that by the industry. Forrest Whitley ended the year in Double A, and when you're a pitcher and you end the year in Double A, probably means you're going to start in Double A the year after that. So this next year, um, now Lance McCullers started in Double A in 2015. And by midseason, he was up here pitching in our rotation. So I'm not going to predict that for Forrest Whitley, but Forrest Whitley has all the talent in the world, and he very well could be here next year. I expect that by the year after, uh, he certainly will be. Okay. Sarah Kinkart, what do you have for us? Hey, we have a question in from Twitter from Steven, and they want to know, are the Astros expect to be active in the Rule 5 draft? And if so, what positions may you target? Rule 5 is a challenging uh vehicle for teams that are intending to compete because you have to take a player that's uh, not currently on a 40-man roster from another club and put them on your 25-man roster and keep them on all year. And we were able to do that with Marwin Gonzalez. We were able to do that with Josh Fields. But those were the years where we weren't expected to compete for division. It's much more difficult to do. Now, um, at this point, someone on our 25-man roster would have to be taking the spot of somebody like uh, Fisher or Musgrove, and so it's hard to imagine that there's somebody out there that is of that caliber. That being said, we do have a spot available on our 40-man roster, so we can make a selection. We may make a selection, and if we do, we certainly will give whoever we select a long look at spring training and an opportunity to make the team. Hashtag AstroLine. We hope you'll join us for the question for General Manager Jeff Luno. And, Jeff, uh, we go back to that uh, highlight on Charlie Morton and the fabulous job he did in Game 7. How about the managing of A.J. Hinch of the bullpen during this postseason? It was incredible. If you think about all of the challenges that presented themselves during the postseason that weren't there during the year, you know, our, some of our guys in the bullpen just not being available or, or not being able to deliver what we wanted them to and having extra starters and figuring out what we're going to do with the extra rest days. Uh, the fact that we ended up using... It, not only in that game, but also in Game 7 of the uh, of the ALCS, essentially a, a, a tandem system, which some of our pitchers had gotten used to using in the minor leagues, uh, you know, that hadn't really been done at the big league level. Like the, to bring in a second starter and have him finish out the game, especially in a critical game like that, um, was, I, you know, a lot of, lot of credit to A.J. for being creative, for recognizing that this was a better way to go. And, you know, there's a lot of moves you can question when you win and a lot of moves you can question when you don't win uh, but overall the whole package AJ's work throughout not only the season but throughout the postseason he put us in the best position to win those ball games and the players went out and executed and the combination was obviously a winning combination the players typically buy into being used in different roles in the postseason it's one thing for the player to buy in but when he hasn't had a track record of pitching in relief very much now it's up to the manager to decide is this really going to work yeah and you know i think a lot of it was uh, aj and strami talking with the pitchers and also getting feedback from them not only how they were performing but between innings and there's no question i mean i thought charlie was going to come out earlier in game seven uh and just like i thought lance was going to come out earlier potentially in game seven of the of the cs uh, but they were responding. They were out there. They were being efficient. They were getting outs. And there's no reason to take those guys out at that point because they were our best chance to win those games. And that's exactly what happened. Let's go back about a year to the signing of Charlie Morton. I've read that Brandon Taubman was a, a big champion of this signing. Um, looking at his career numbers, a lot of people would say 
Well, we're not too sure how this is going to go here. Yeah. What did you see in him? Well, Brandon and uh, Mike Fast and Kevin Goldstein and a lot of people in our front office that that helped me and, and actually drive a lot of our decisions as far as who we're going to acquire. You know, they did a they did a tremendous job with Charlie. They identified that fact that his stuff uh, would play, that there was a chance we could keep him healthy, and also with a, with maybe some tweaks on the repertoire that we could actually increase his production. And you know, there was a it was a collaborative effort. I remember at the time people thought, why are we giving him a two-year deal when the Phillies didn't even pick up his option? Uh, but we wanted, if we were right, and this guy turned out to be a good pitcher, which we thought he was going to be, we certainly didn't want to give him up after a year either. So it worked out to be a tremendous acquisition for us. Uh, probably exceeded our expectations, but i, I got to give Brandon and, and the rest of the group a, a lot of credit for advocating for him, for pushing for him, and ultimately for encouraging me to get the deal done. You very aggressively signed him early in the offseason last year. Traded for Brian McCann early in the offseason. Signed Josh Reddick early in the offseason. So this club was pretty well set before the end of the year last year. You're exactly right. In fact, I, I think yesterday was the uh, the one-year anniversary of when we signed Beltran, too. So our four big moves during the offseason were all accomplished by this day last year. Uh, now, compare that to this year. We haven't done anything yet. So... <laughs> Uh, two, two differences. One is last year we had very specific needs, and we went out and we were aggressive in being a uh, fast mover in, in offseason. Um, this year we have far fewer needs. And so um, and there's also a lot of choices, and the free agent market just hasn't picked up yet, nor has the trade market. So um, we're going to be opportunistic. We're going we're gonna to find a couple of players that we really like, and we're going to make those acquisitions or trades. But right now there's, um, it, it hasn't happened, so our work is yet to be done. I was amazed at how this club turned around its walk-to-strikeout ratio from one season to the next. Was that something you really targeted a year ago? It was. It's a combination of Dave Hudgens and, and our hitting coaches uh, working with our players and guys like George Springer uh, chopping their strikeout rate way down, Marwin Gonzalez chopping it way down, even Jake Marisnik. A lot of guys were focusing on it. And then the acquisitions that we made in, in Reddick and McCann, uh, Beltran, et cetera, uh, and, and really Yuli, the first acquisition we made, you know, these are all guys that had lower strikeout rates historically, and when they came into our system, they got even lower. And so it was really the combination of all that, plus you were sort of subtracting a couple of guys, good players, but guys who had a lot of strikeouts like Jason Castro and others that we had had in the past, uh, Chris Carter. So um, the entire dynamic led to our team going from the heaviest strikeout team to the least strikeout team in a over a period of really two years, which was pretty incredible transformation. It really was. And then the, uh, the work of Guriel you mentioned, but uh, the tremendous improvement, and he didn't really have a, a full shot right. at 2016, but what an improved player he was. He was. And, you know, we, we knew there were clues from, about his performance from his time in Cuba. I mean, he had a ridiculously low strikeout ratio in Cuba, but we didn't know what cal- caliber of competition he was facing. He had a high batting average. We knew he was going to hit for average. You know, when he started in, in uh, 16, the results were mixed. He had some, you know, a good month and a bad month, but there wasn't enough for just to really judge what was going on there. Um, his defense really improved in 17, and his offense, obviously, I mean, he, he was a critical component of our team. And I remember at the beginning of the year telling a couple people, yeah, he may start eighth or ninth in our lineup at the beginning of the year, but I, I guarantee there's going to be a point in this year where he's hitting fifth. And sure enough, 
come August, he's hitting fifth. He's doing damage. I think even in the playoffs, he hit fifth a couple games. So um, I think he's a guy that's going to continue to help us hit for high average. He's going to have 15 to 20 bombs each year and uh, play good defense at first base and, and can play defense at third as well. You mentioned your two championships with the Cardinals. And typically, teams that win the World Series do not make major changes. Was that the case there with those teams? It was. Um, there were different dynamics as far as free agents. And, and the year after, uh, in 2011, Tony La Russa, uh retired. So there was a new manager. So there were, you know, every year you're, you, have, you have your different challenges. But um, if you're fortunate enough to win a championship and you have a young core uh, that's going to continue to play together, that's that's a really good spot. I mean, it's similar to what the Cubs had last year, and they came back and made it to the championship series. So even though people say the Cubs had some sort of hangover this year, um, if someone told me that, you know, we're going to have a hangover, but we're going to be back competing in the, in the ALCS, I, I, I say that's okay. <laughs> that's quite all right. Jeff Luno, our guest right here from Pluckers on Astroline. We'll have more right after this. Here's the 0-2. Marwin lifts this one pretty deep to left center field. Taylor on his horse, going back at the wall. Let's go! Let's go! Marwin has tied it at three! Marwin Gonzalez hits a home run to tie the score. His first home run of the postseason. And Kenley Jansen suffers his first career postseason blown save in 13 chances. An 0-2 pitch for Marwin Gonzalez, who some say in the clubhouse is the team's most valuable player. 0-2 off of Kenley Jansen and drives it out to left center field to tie it up in the ninth. Truly remarkable. Jeff Luno, you were talking about that earlier. And uh, as much as we loved game five, without that home run in game two, I don't know what game five would have brought us. You're right about that. And just listening, that gives me the chills. I was sitting behind home plate. I remember telling Brandon, more, more hoping than actually prognosticating, I said, I really like the Marwin matchup here against Jensen, just because you don't really like any matchup against Jensen. <laughs> but I, I did like that one. And uh, when when he when he hit that ball, I you know it didn't look like it was going over right away, and I saw the outfielder reacting. And as soon as it went over, I mean I remember Brandon kind of whacked me and said, "I can't believe you called that one." <laughs> yeah, you referred to it earlier. The way the Astros had big hits against some of the top closers in the game in the postseason, extremely rare in a postseason, yeah. right? Yeah, and the other one is Josh Reddick's at bat against the Red Sox against. Kimbrel, and that I think it was 12 or 13 pitches, and this is not a good matchup for for Reddick, and and foul after foul after fall, and then all of a sudden he hits that ball, you know, opposite way through the infield into the outfield, and the run scores, and that was, again, there's so many defining moments, but that was a huge one, and even though Reddick didn't have the offseason offensively that we were hoping for, that one hit was was worth everything right there. Right, and he made some good plays in right field. Now, going back to when you signed him, he had had some good seasons, um, and he's just the right age. He's the right fit with this group. But I thought what you did to create just such a fabulous clubhouse was really screen these players before you brought them in here, and his personality was just seemed to be what this team needed. It worked really well for our clubhouse, and we knew he, he was an unusual guy, uh, but we figured it was going to work really well in, in our environment, that he would get along with Springer, he'd get along with Correa and Altuve and the guys that he needed to get along with. And, and it worked better than I even imagined. I mean, he really fit in. He started the whole thing about the, the, the belt. 
And that was early in the season. And at first it was one belt, and then it was two belts, and one for the pitcher and one for the hitter of the game. And then they both had to give speeches in the clubhouse. And so it became this whole thing, and it was really, you know, we won a lot of games. We won 101 times, so we had to give out <laughs> these belts every single night, it seemed like. But it was a great way to keep the cohesiveness and to keep everybody accountable and a little recognition at the end of every game for at least two of the players. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, many moves will be made here in this offseason. Do you expect a, a lot of action at the general manager meetings? I do, just because typically there's a lot of action before and then also during the GM, the, uh, the winter meetings. Winter meetings, yeah. Uh, but this year there has not been a lot of action before. Mm -hmm. There was a few moves made this week, and I think there will be a couple this weekend. But I do believe that uh, next, uh, next week, Monday through Thursday, there's going to be a, a lot of moves. and There's going to be a lot of news made. Going back to the Verlander trade, still fascinated by that. You're on the West Coast. You're at your in-law's house. They're having a dinner party. You're trying to close this deal. <laughs> then you don't know that the deal has gone through until you're out at dinner with your wife. And uh, that had to be a bizarre night. It was, it was bizarre in so many ways. I mean, with Harvey happening and the team leaving, and I decided to stay back because I didn't want to be traveling with the team and not be near my phone. And so I stayed back, and it was beautiful and sunny in Southern California. And, you know, I knew that the team was in Tampa, and they were flying back to, to Houston. Uh, and there were points throughout that entire week, and especially on that last day when the deal was essentially dead. Like, I just went about doing something else. And then something would happen, resurface it, and we'd get it going again. Uh, but it really didn't come together until the very end. And like you said, I didn't even know if we had gotten it across the finish line in time. And I had to wait about 15 minutes after midnight to find out. And uh, it was one of the most exciting calls I've ever received when MLB called me and said it was uh, it was at the deadline, but a few seconds before, so we're, we're going to let it through. And it, did the lady say something like, "Don't put me through this again" or something? Yeah, like yeah. That? He he, uh, he said, "Let's not. Let's try and do it a little sooner next time," because it was the second time I'd done a deadline deal in the last minute, and they're um, they're nerve wracking all around. Sarah Kincard, what do you have for us? Yeah, Jeff, we have some curiosity on Twitter about Carlos Beltran. We brought him back into the clubhouse this year, loved the role he played for the team. Where do you see him moving forward? Do you see him being a part of the Astros in the future? Well, Carlos Beltran will always be a, a part of the Astros in as much as he had one of the more historic postseasons ever in 2004 and then was a part, big part of our team this year that won a championship. So in the hearts and minds of Astro fans, he's an Astro. Uh, you know, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to do special things going forward. He obviously was uh, interviewed for the Yankee manager job. I do think if he wants to be a manager, um, that's out there for him. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, there's a, there's going to be a fit in too many cities. New York would have been good for him. Um, but, you know, he's he's had a huge impact on the game. He's had a huge impact on so many people. Um, he, he was recognized last night in New York by Sports Illustrated for having such a huge impact on Puerto Rico in this year where so many people were in need of assistance. So... Uh, whatever he does with his life going forward, I'm sure that baseball will be a part of it, and I'm sure he will continue to have a huge impact on other people's lives. 2018 Astros season tickets are on sale now. You can enjoy some of the best seats at Minute Maid Park, save money, and receive great benefits throughout the season. Call 1-877-9-ASTROS or visit astros.com slash season tickets to get your seats today. And uh, the fans uh, who will be in these seats uh, were unbelievable this year, Jeff. I don't, I don't know you've seen great fans in St. Louis, but this was a show this year. This became a baseball town this year, and I know back in 04, 05, it, it really felt like a baseball town, but, uh, you know, when I got here in 11, it, it felt more like a basketball and football town. This year, 
and and really, um, you know, the fans that came to support the team all year, that was amazing. The other thing I noticed this year is we have a lot of fans on the road everywhere we went, whether it was Seattle or Detroit or Baltimore, you know, Philadelphia. There were a ton of our fans on the road, and it was great to see because before, if I recognized one Astro hat, I'd, I'd usually run up to them and thank them for being there. But now, literally, there were, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, everywhere we went. Um, and then the, the capstone for me was seeing how many Astro fans there are at the parade. I mean, and these aren't just casual Astro fans. People were decked out. They were excited. I know not everybody gets a chance to come to the games because it's, you know, tough and the schedules and it's expensive and all that times. But to see people at the parade and see how many there are, that was really cool. Uh, special, special year in many, many ways. Sarah, do you have anything else? I know you had some... Uh some letters that people had written to Jeff over there, right? Some we do. We received this folder of letters earlier this week, Jeff. Right. I came down from your office. Essentially, it's a stack of letters from kids, from schools, thanking the Astros for winning, thanking the Astros for being such an influence on them. Um, did you get a chance to look at any of these? I, yes. My assistant showed me those, and they're, they're such sweet letters and, and so genuine, written by so many kids around the area. And yeah, that's what it's all about. It's about being a kid and rooting for your hometown team and having heroes and then, you know, being able to celebrate uh, victories like these. This was amazing. Well, and you mentioned it becoming more of a baseball town. It probably starts with the younger generation. At it that sure level. does. There's no question. And, and baseball's done a lot. The Astros have done a lot to try and get youth involved in baseball all around the city. And we've built ballparks everywhere. And that's a part of it. I think there's a big correlation between having played the game as a kid and, and following the game as an adult. And that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. It's pretty neat. Yes, it is. Thank you, Sarah. See, we've got another break coming up in a couple of minutes. But, Jeff, uh, as we look ahead now to spring training, and and uh, is there a concern about the innings that guys pitched that were extra this year, about just the, the 18 extra games uh, coming into spring training is – that's something that worries you at this point. Well, it, it does worry me because um, we, we need to stay healthy to, to win, and our guys were pushed this year beyond limits that, um, that you know beyond where they had been pushed before. Now that being said, we have among the best medical staff in the industry, and there was an article written I think last week about um, how how would you judge medical staffs and and which organizations keep their players the healthiest, and we were in the top three, and there were a lot of different variables that they looked at and I, I do give a lot of credit to our coaches our, our trainers our strength and conditioning coaches and our doctors and so we have a plan in place for all of our pitchers all of our position players and we told them this is how much time you need to rest this is when you need to ramp up again and even spring training we're starting a day or two later than we did last year uh, we're going to probably ramp up the main guys a little later than we did last few years so we're going to be as cautious as we can uh, but it, you know, it's always a big a, a concern of mine, just because the wear and tear of a long season does tend to you do tend to pay the price the next year. Mm -hmm. And of course, a number of guys were on the disabled list this year, yeah. but there were systematic rests for all the players throughout the season. Were you pretty happy with the way things went? I, I was, and you know, when Keiko and McCullers both went on the DL, it was frustrating because we needed them to win games. But that's when guys like Mike Fires and and uh, Brad Peacock and Joe Musgrove and David Paulino and others stepped up and took those innings and kept us winning ballgames. And, and to a certain extent, those injuries were a blessing in disguise because they created a natural rest for both of those guys. 
which benefited us, I think, in October. No doubt. Sarah? And, Jeff, waterfalling from there, um, people are wondering if you ever see a roster being reworked, if it's going to be a 30-man roster in the future and how that would even affect those injuries you're talking about. Well, it's interesting. There was a lot of discussion about expanding to a 26-man roster last year when the new CBA was announced, but uh, for whatever reason, it didn't end up being that way. And I think the main argument for a 26-man roster is health. If you have an extra pitcher, most teams would probably use it for an extra pitcher, and it would allow you to uh, not have to bring your guys back on short rest or not have to use your bullpen guys three days in a row, and I think that would ultimately help everybody out. But, you know, injuries are always going to be an issue. We have great medical staffs across the industry, great trainers, great doctors, and it's something we're always going to have to be challenged with. You're listening to Astroline, presented by Carbach Brewing Company. We'll be back for one final segment with our guest, Jeff Luno, after this on the Houston Astros Radio Network. When you talk about Alex Bregman, you instantly say he's a baseball player. That's the best compliment you can give if you're a baseball player. It means you're complete. First pitch. And Alex lines it to the left center field. That's a base hit. Fisher around third and coming home. Ethier up with the baseball. That's going to the plate. Not in time. Astros win. Astros win. Alex Bregman comes through with a walk-off RBI single. And the Astros win 13-12 in 10. They lead the World Series three games to two. He's a baseball player. Alex Bregman first pitch. Emotional night in extra innings, 13-12, to and the Astros go back to Cali with the lead. And they are now one win away from a championship. Oh, what a night. Game five of the World Series. Yes, you don't mind hearing that again. You're listening to Astroline presented by Carbach Brewing Company. Great to have all these people here tonight with Jeff Luno, our guest. And we want to look ahead to the 2018 spring training schedule. It gets underway February 23rd at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Make your plans now to see the World Series champion Houston Astros this spring. For all there is to see and do, visit thepalmbeaches.com. We'd like to welcome our listeners tonight from the shores of Lake Pontchartrain in Slidell, Louisiana, and from the city of New Orleans on station WSLA, 1560 AM. Radio partners and affiliate of the World Series champions here on the Houston Astros radio network. Sarah Kincard has another question for us from social media. I'll get us kicked off. Jeff, there's some speculation about a newer guy in the farm system, Joe Perez. What did you see in him, and what caused the Astros to evaluate him so so much more highly? Yeah, he was a high school player from the Florida, from the Miami area, two-way player, and he actually had uh, Tommy John surgery, um, and so we knew he was going to be out for a little while, but we decided to go ahead and take a chance and select him. We think he's going to be an excellent position player, third baseman. We know he can pitch. That's down the road, but... Um, this is a guy that we really liked a lot. He's got pedigree. He's got athleticism. He knows how to. Uh, he's got a great swing. knows knows how to handle himself out there. C- came from a top program in a high school program in the Miami area. So really excited about him. I, one of the things about our system is we've got some guys at the top that people know about, but guys like Prez, um, they're going to know about pretty soon. I think once he's out there and playing for us, he's going to go through the system pretty quickly. Well, it's it's really exciting uh, when you get to this point and anticipate seeing these guys in the spring against some tougher competition yeah. and that allows you to better evaluate them right yeah no question spring is such a great time for us to not only see all of our prospects but to see them playing up because they're all playing against players that are older than them and been around longer and you know then they all go out to their teams or they stay at extended and we get a chance to see them later on in the year but it's it's a lot of fun uh, we've got great prospects in our system and 
it, we're going to need to have good prospects in our system for a while to come because um, we're no longer going to be picking first in the draft. So we're going to be picking towards the end, and we're going to have to learn how to live in that territory, which the, I'm fine with. The other side, uh, I love the, the way the complex was set together for those who didn't come to the ballpark of the Palm Beaches last year. A great complex for fans of the young talent yeah. to be able to go back to where you had the tower and you could look out on all those minor league fields. No question about it. You could come to spring training. You could see the major leaguers work out. You could walk a, a short distance and see the minor leaguers work out because the cages are right next to each other. The bullpens are right next to each other. And then you've got that, that four-pack of fields out there. And if you're a fan, you can walk basically right up to the side of those fields, and you can watch the double-A team or the triple-A team or the, the rookie ball team. And it's, it's just so much uh, – it's a unique experience in baseball. And you, I don't think you really get it in any other sport where you get a chance to be in that close contact and just watch these guys do their everyday work and, and be that close to them. I think one of the keys to this organization has been the way the minor leaguers are welcomed into the major league clubhouse and are made to feel a part of that, and then they get to exchange uh, some ideas and run some things by a Carlos Beltran, someone like that. It really allows them to be a part of this and feel more at ease when they are big leaguers, correct? It is true, and, you know, when you have a young man like Alex Bregman getting to the big leagues, the fact that even though, you know, Springer is, is – still young and early in his career you know Bregman can can pick his brain and find out what he does uh, he can watch Carlos Beltran he can watch Josh Reddick I mean Bregman is one of the hardest working uh, guys I know in the game but he one of the things he does to make himself better is he observes what other people are doing and tries to learn from them and it's he's a sponge you, you watch him he's whenever he's not playing he's standing right next to AJ on the bench trying to ask questions and learn from him and you know, to give those guys who really want to learn an opportunity to learn from the best, that's that's really the best thing we can do for them. This is not going to surprise you at all, but there was uh, a workout during the playoffs on an off day here. And, of course, Alex was at the workout. And then I heard from someone who was at Baseball USA later that night that he was out there working yeah. out more. And you, you hear these <laughs> stories. And Carlos uh, Correa, same thing, Jose Altuve. I mean, these guys, you know, so I, I saw a picture of, I think it was during a playoff game, Correa was working out in someone's backyard in West U at like 7 in the morning, and we had a game that night, and he came in and took a full batting practice. So, you know, when these guys are as dedicated to their profession and, and what they do as the guys on our team, and, and you name it, whether it's Springer, Altuve, Correa, Keiko, McCullers, they are as dedicated as any human being is to any vocation or profession, and it's, it's the reason why we're champions. And when you look at the ages of these guys you're talking about, and they've accomplished this World Series championship so early in their careers, it gives them a chance to, to really use that as a further motivational tool, correct? No question. I mean, you think that Alex Bregman, his first full year, he wins a championship. So is that, you know, is that sort of the pinnacle of his career? No way. This guy's, this guy's 23 years old. I mean, he, he wants to be a star in this league. He already is an emerging as a future star. Uh, so he's got all the motivation that we could ever want him to have to get back and do it again. And, in fact, it, it, once you've been there and had that success, um, it's, you, you're, you're almost more motivated to get back and do it again because you know how hard it is and you also know how much fun it is and how rewarding it is when you actually compete it. Mm -hmm. Sarah, do you have anything more for us? 
Sure, we can have one. Jeff, there's a lot going on with John Carlos Stanton right now. Do you have any feedback on what's happening with him right now? I can't comment on another team's players, but it is. I read all the reports. Uh, there's a lot of intrigue going on, both that the media is aware of, and I'm sure behind the scenes that the media is not aware of. But you know, some people are saying that's the reason why uh, the free agent, why a lot of things haven't happened yet this this off season. I'm not sure that's the case, but. Um, you know, it's it's very rare that a reigning MVP is in discussions to be traded the year they won the MVP. It just doesn't happen that often, if at all. So, unique situation, and I think uh, everybody in baseball is watching it, and I think everybody on baseball is also hoping that it gets resolved sometime soon so everybody can sort of move on. Jeff, uh, regarding any possible changes in the game, uh, I believe that there's no longer a negotiating period with uh, speed-up rules in the game, so the commissioner can just pass down an edict. This is what we're doing to speed up the game. Do you anticipate that happening? I think there'll be more change. We've tested a lot of things in the fall league. We've tested things in the minor leagues. Um, I think some of the things that we've implemented are, are have worked, but the game, you know, hasn't gotten a lot shorter. So I think the commissioner is really dedicated and motivated to continue to make the game more appealing to the next generation of fans, and as we all know, the next generation of fans is not really wanting to sit around for four hours <laughs> unless it's game five of the World Series, right, right. in which case everybody's willing to sit around and see what happens. But um, So there'll be, there'll be changes, there's no question, and the commissioner will be wise in which ones he chooses to implement and how, and I'm sure ultimately the Players Association will get on board and we'll, we'll do the right thing. The uh, catchers are making a lot of trips to the mound these days, and there's concern about sign stealing, so constant changing of signs. That's understandable, but uh, do you expect to see that change? Well, I think that the sign stealing has always been um, a cloak and dagger thing that all teams try and do. Some are good at it, some aren't. Um, you know, everybody blames each other for trying it. It's, it's been part of the game for the last century and probably will continue to be. Uh, the communication between the catcher and the, and the pitcher, unless they figure out a different way to communicate, communication is key. And you need to make sure that you've got the right strategy in place. And so that, that's going to continue to happen. I think there will be some limitations put on that at some point. Jeff, thanks a million for joining us. Congratulations. Thank you, Brownie, and thank you for having me. Tremendous night for us here. Thanks to Lauren Blackwell, to Sarah Kincard, Matt Boltz, our producer-engineer, Bob Elliott, our studio producer. And thanks to all of you for coming to Pluckers. And join us again next week. It's Thursday night. Bill Brown saying we'll see you at that time on Astro Line. Have a good night, everybody. Astro Line. You've been listening to Sports Talk 790 Astro Line, the Astros' official off-season show. Presented by Carbock Brewing Company. Astro Line. Hear your world champion Houston Astros go for the repeat on Sports Talk 790, home of the Strohs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it 
in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.